0: Welcome to the broadcast. Lots of interesting things going on in our world. Boy, uh, that's probably a profound understatement based on where we're going during the course of our conversation today. As you know, I like to start off with something in some measure encouraging, but at the same time, I know it's kind of like a drop in the bucket compared to the I guess you can say a great deal of negativity disturbing things that are going on in our world let me start here in the upstate with a very encouraging story you may have noticed that I draw attention to this every time I see these stories I just love life I love new life and I appreciate the gift that babies are hey I've had four of them (laughs) did not give birth to them of course because I'm not a birthing person (laughs) in the upstate W Y F F reporting on a record that's been set in South Carolina Already this year, and this is a good record, a record to celebrate, seven babies safely given up under Daniel's law. By now, I'm sure you know what Daniel's law is. Seven mothers have given up their babies in South Carolina so far in 2022, more than any year since the state passed its safe haven law more than two decades ago. The babies given up at hospitals, all of them according to data from the Department of Social Services. Daniel's Law allows babies younger than two months to be turned over to the state at safe places like hospitals, fire stations, police departments, churches, as long as somebody's there. Before 2022, the most babies given up in a year, there were six back in 2016 and 2019. Four babies have been adopted, while the last three are currently in the family court system. The agency isn't guessing why 2022 has been the busiest year for Daniel Slaw. The babies turned over to the state have been twins in Anderson County. I think we mentioned that story recently. A boy in Greenville County. A girl in Spartanburg County. A boy in Dorchester County. A boy in Greenwood County. And a girl in Lexington County. And as you know... These stories are very often the products of tragedy. Laws like this. The General Assembly passed Daniel's Law in 2001 after a newborn boy was found abandoned at an old dump in Allendale County. He was alive, but covered in fire ant bites by a mother who never told her parents she was pregnant or went to the doctor and gave birth in her bathroom needless suffering by this little boy and, frankly, by the boy's mother. But we celebrate, again, seven babies who are safe, thanks to Daniel's Law. And we rejoice in that reality this morning. I want to jump right in to talking about... A very disturbing development now I think it was last week I told you about this whole situation between Russia and Ukraine and I was kind of mocking one of the analysts who was so confident this thing was going to be over and soon this was way back in March or April remember that I played the clip this guy saying yeah they're giving this guy you know the Ukrainian leader all this attention You know, Russia ought to just wrap this up and just go in and blow these people over and call it a day. He was so confident this was going to be over very soon. Here we are. It's September. In fact, we're approaching the end of September. Things are not going well for Russia and Vladimir Putin. But here's where this gets very messy. Now we're having threats breathed at us. By Vladimir Putin. Not just any threat. But a nuclear threat. UK Daily Mail. Putin's nuclear threat to the West. Vladimir warns Ukraine's allies he will use weapons of destruction. Announces mobilization of another 300,000 troops. And declares, I am not bluffing. Threatening the West with nuclear weapons over Ukraine. Announcing the mobilization of 300,000 reservists. This is the first Russian mobilization since World War II. This certainly underscores how serious this situation is. Occupied Ukrainian territories, Putin also announced, are going to be annexed to Russia. And he said all means will be used to defend them. Ukraine, for its part, has dismissed the threat, saying it is predictable and shows the war is not going as Putin had planned. But this is certainly a chilling new threat. Using nuclear weapons? Is he really that desperate? Basically telling us to back off. Putin also gave the go-ahead for referendums to be held in occupied areas of Ukraine that would make them a part of Russia, at least in the eyes of the Kremlin. Vowing to use all means to defend the region, saying if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will use all available means to protect Russia and our people. This is not a bluff. I shall stress, by all means available to us, those trying to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know the tables can turn on them. Wow. The other part of this story, as you know, is the background of how well this has been going for Ukraine. Ukraine actually routed a large part of the Russian army last week. Basically backing Russia into a corner. A corner, (laughs) the UK Daily Mail says, a corner of his own making. And facing the possible collapse of his so-called special military operation. Rather than back down, the Russian leader has instead chosen to double down. And hold the free world to ransom putting Russia and its huge nuclear arsenal on direct collision course with Ukraine and its allies have already vowed not to accept the results of sham referendums or to stop liberating occupied territory. President Zelensky referring to the speech dismissed noise from Russia and said it will not alter Ukraine's resolve. Good for him. The foreign minister likewise vowed the Russians can do whatever they want. It will not change anything. Ukraine has every right to liberate its territories and will keep liberating them, whatever Russia has to say. Wow. Sobering, isn't it? Love to get your thoughts as we continue. Stay with us. So I'm very curious what your thoughts are on the situation we face now. You know, we've been providing all this assistance to Ukraine, and there's no question in my mind, the Ukrainians would not be able to resist as they have and do as well as they have without U.S. help. It's really that simple. And you know, behind the scenes, he has to be absolutely furious Vladimir Putin, about the United States helping out. It's really pretty sobering to hear these threats. Now, I tend to think that he is bluffing. I don't think he's going to do anything this crazy. But then again, you've heard the stories. You know how. Things are kind of closing in on Vladimir Putin. Does it reach a point where there's really nothing left for him to do but something desperate? I'm just curious. The weapon against Russia, its economy, it's already in the crapper. Further sanctions against Russia will have it broke in six months. And if Russia thinks China will be there to help out, they're wrong. China's as broke as Russia. Sanctions against Chinese manufacturing will have that country broke just as quick. They can't afford it. The UN should send Russia's president a message. They will be blown off the face of the earth if they use nuclear weapons. Well, I think they know that. I think Putin knows we do not have strong leadership here. But our demented one can be dangerous as well. Oh, gosh. This texture says, I have 100% confidence in the United States, but I have zero confidence in the leadership of our country right now. How we respond to the threats, interactions with the leadership that we have right now puts me in a position of decision-making. I feel more comfortable defending my family myself than putting that in the hands of the existing administration. If they've left Americans to die before, there's no reason why I should feel comfortable with them now. Yee. And yet this texture also says, I'm tired of sending money and helping Ukraine. That is a sentiment shared by a number of people. Wondering why we're sending as much money as we are. And supplies. And we have this from Gigi. Good morning, Vince. Happy Wednesday. Wanted to ask how your friend Travis is doing. Still in my prayers. Hope every day he gets better and better. Doing pretty well. Continuing to recover. So keep those prayers up. Absolutely appreciate it. If you would like to join the conversation, please do. The Ingalls Market Stock Line. eight hundred nine two eight eleven ten. It's eight hundred nine two eight eleven ten. The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line seven one three zero seven. We've had these references to the economy. You know, I think it's appropriate that we talk about our own because we have our own challenges that we're facing here in this country. And frankly, as much as the president may communicate that such is the case, the primary reason is not at all connected to Russia. It's our own policies right here in this country. And I would say long-standing policies. Long-standing policies. Politico has a very sobering story, and I think a very accurate story, talking about how the Fed is getting even tougher on inflation. Here's what to watch first. And I love this first line, how the Fed helped to create much of the volatility. This is one of the things that's really frustrated me. We really have not had... True and honest reporting on this whole subject of allegedly managing the economy. See, I I don't know how much confidence you have. I don't have any confidence in the Fed regulating and managing the economy. We don't need anybody doing that. This is really not how a free market system works. And I would dare say it's their interference which has caused many of our problems. They created them. So in August, central bankers and economic pundits from around the world descended on Jackson, Wyoming to hear the keynote speech of the Federal Reserve's annual symposium. The days afterwards, the world's smartest economic brains, allegedly, all focused on trying to interpret the most important word from the speech, Pain. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, was sending one clear message to global money managers. The Fed is deadly serious about reducing inflation. The bank won't back off, and the results are going to hurt. Specifically, Powell promised the Fed will continue to hike interest rates and keep them elevated until the bank has brought inflation down from over 8%, where it is now. The goal is to get it down to around 2%. Good luck. In fact, this week, the Fed is expected to announce another large increase at its regular policy meeting. What does this mean? What's going to translate into higher unemployment and weaker economic growth until inflation is fully tamed? These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. By the way, you know what really frustrates me about this? Nowhere in these discussions do you ever hear conversations and, please, if nothing else, appeals for the federal government to stop spending money. Have you ever heard anybody communicate that? No, we just keep talking about the fruit, not the root. Powell invoked the name of Paul Volcker, the legendary former Fed chair who doubled interest rates and killed inflation back in the late 70s. You remember how wonderful those times were. Oh, great times back in the 70s. Volcker, famous in central banking circles for doing the very hard thing no one wants to do, but allegedly necessary to break an out-of-control inflation cycle. His bitter medicine did kill the economy, drove unemployment above 10%. And brought about the worst banking crisis since the Great Depression. It ended inflation. But what a mess it was. Powell is right about one thing. It's difficult to anticipate just how much pain will be unleashed by the coming waves of interest rate increases. But the Volcker comparison avoids an important fact. Volcker had it easy in many ways compared to Powell. The American financial system today is far more fragile than the one Volcker inherited. Mostly because of an economy the Fed has dramatically remade in recent decades. We're going to talk more about this story. I'm very surprised the Politico has done this story. Because it's right on the money. Basically saying this entire mess we're watching now is the Fed's creation. And now they're trying to clean up their own mess. We'll talk more about this as we continue. So we're talking about what's going on with inflation. And I I am quite gratified to see this mainstream news agency, as in Politico, spelling out what's really going on with our economy. I hope you listen very carefully to this, ladies and gentlemen. I remember reading a book on the 2008-2009 meltdown. And one of the important things that was emphasized in that particular book. Is how dangerous the situation is because the foundations have not been fixed at all and there's even more debt now than ever as you're going to hear in this story the situation now is not like it was in the 1970s it's not so simple This story by Politico continues. Over the last decade, the Fed has undertaken an unprecedented experiment in ultra-low interest rates and easy money. Investors, bankers, governments have all adapted to that new situation. They've gotten spoiled. Taking on more debt, pouring more money into riskier investments. Now a decade's worth of these debts and investments are going to collide with a higher-rate world. It's not going to be pretty. The worst damage, the worst, will likely come in the parts of the financial system the Fed has distorted the most over its past decade of easy money experiments. Federal debt, corporate debt, sovereign debt. No one knows where we're headed exactly. We do know how these key parts of the economy got to be so volatile in the first place. At this point here is worth everything, (laughs) every minute you're spending listening to this program today. Now, those of you who are up to speed on these things, this is not a surprise. You've already known this. This is in bold letters. The Federal Reserve fed the national debt. Now that debt is about to become a lot more expensive, straining the government and possibly roiling the global financial system. One of the most obvious and potentially most dangerous distorted markets is the one for U.S. debt. When Volcker hiked interest rates in 1980, the total amount of U.S. government debt. Are you ready for this? This is almost depressing. Our debt back then was $907 billion. Or about 30% of the size of the total U.S. economy. $907 billion. Today, the U.S. debt stands at $28 trillion, or 125% of the total U.S. economy, meaning our debt is worth about 25% more than our economic output each year. This matters for a simple reason. When the Fed tightens the money supply and raises interest rates, it inflicts pain on U.S. taxpayers, who must pay interest on the nation's debt. The higher the debt the higher the pain. So we're going to pay again, folks. It was the Fed's own experiments that helped create all the national debt in the first place. The Fed did so through an experimental program called, do you remember this? Quantitative easing, or QE. The importance of this cannot be overstated. Under this program, the Fed created about $9 trillion new dollars between 2008 and today. To put that in perspective, the Fed created only about a trillion dollars in its first 95 years of existence. We are so screwed. So it's printed 900 years worth of money. Can Listen to this. I, I... This is so freaking depressing. They've printed 900 years worth of money. In a little over 10 years, measured against its historic rate, all that money injected straight into the Wall Street banking system, pumped up the very markets, stocks and bonds, now threatened by the Fed's tightening. Here's how it worked. The Feds would call up a banker at a place like J.P. Morgan and ask, to buy $8 billion in Treasury bonds from the government. Only about 24 banks, including J.P. Morgan, can sell Treasury bonds directly to the Fed because those banks had a special designation as a primary dealer. When the Fed buys $8 billion in Treasury bonds from a primary dealer, it does so by creating $8 billion new dollars out of thin air. Did you hear what I just said? They're creating money out of thin air. The dollars instantly appear inside a special account in the banks that they have inside the Fed called reserve accounts. The Fed repeated this transaction over and over again until it created trillions of new dollars inside Wall Street's reserve accounts. The buying spree the secondary impact of pumping up the market for U.S. debt because it made it cheaper for the U.S. government to borrow money. It was simple supply and demand. Every time the United States went to market, to sell bonds, and raise money, the Fed was there as a buyer. In the year or so after the COVID pandemic started, there were periods when the Fed was buying the vast majority of U.S. debt being sold. That meant the government didn't have to offer to pay high interest rates to entice people to buy its debt. The Fed was always there to buy. This kept 10-year Treasury interest rates historically low since 2009. During 2020, when the Fed was buying trillions in Treasuries, the rate was almost zero. It's hard to overstate what a huge effect this had on the ability of the U.S. government to borrow money. By May of this year... The Fed owned 25% of all outstanding U.S. Treasury bonds. It owned 38% of all long-term Treasury bonds that are mature in 10 or 30 years. I'm not going to bog you down in any more of this. I think you get the picture. This is a house of cards, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I don't want to take too large a leap here. But I've contended all along, we need to repeal the Federal Reserve Act. These games that are being played, they're forms of Russian roulette. The house is going to be fine. We're the ones who are going to get screwed. I just want to give you a heads up. All of this debt that's been accumulated, this is going to blow up. It's really that simple. I'd love to get your thoughts on how you think this plays out. And frankly, how this affects the whole political system. Because these folks in Washington are just pretending that nothing's wrong. Very dangerous situation that we face here. Much more as we continue our broadcast. Stay with us. Falling. We've got some positive developments as we bring things closer to home right here in the Carolinas. And I'm speaking specifically. an interesting development in the sports world this was quite intriguing and I guess people would say that uh, it's really not that shocking but ACC headquarters is making the move from Greensboro to Charlotte the folks who made this decision characterized this as a difficult decision the league made this announcement yesterday We're talking about the conference's board of directors, presidents, chancellors of all 15 of the ACC members. I understand this is unanimous, the choice that was made. The offices will be moved to Charlotte in 2023. This ends a 70-year run in the city of the organization's birth, Greensboro. It's all coming to a close. So how did they choose Charlotte? The finalists, Charlotte, Greensboro, and Orlando. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. The cities measured on criteria, according to the league, that included having an eastern time zone location. Well, that's easy. Positive growth trends, we got that. Population diversity, got plenty of that. And this one, I think, is probably largely what gave us the edge Access to a large hub airport. We've got that all over the place. Probably the major reason why this move is taking place to provide some perspective on this, the whys and wherefores, and the significance of this. We have our friend Chris McLean, MacAttack from WFNC, back with us. How are you doing this morning?
1: It's Oh, my bad. Yes. What's going on? I'm here, man. I uh, Great. Listen, we got to celebrate this. The way our sports city is going, we got to celebrate the victory, the little victories that we get. Absolutely. And we got one here. No doubt about it. I think you covered it pretty good with the criteria there. Like, I know the ACC, you said it, has said, hey, this was a difficult decision. But honestly, no brainer. It's a no brainer. The second they announced yep. that they're opening this up to move to other cities, we started saying over on FNZ, man, it's Charlotte. Like, because they allow you to be in the, in the center of the ACC footprint still, just like Greensboro is, right? We go all the way down to Florida and ACC country, all the way up now, Boston, you know, up north. But right there in the middle is the state of North Carolina. It is, you know, the best way to be able to get to all parts of ACC country. But it brings you all that other stuff. Like, Greensboro was a great great home for the ACC for years. My god, the ACC tournament there, they've had legendary moments, and they'll still have the ACC tournament in Greensboro at times, but it just feels like it's this is a this is the ACC in 2022, right? Still being at the center of everything, but now being in a city like Charlotte. How important
0: is this for Charlotte?
1: I mean, that's the thing is to like fans, like ACC fans, you like it's not like you're going to notice a difference, you right. know, in your in the fan life. But I do think it just adds to you know adds another feather in Charlotte's cap. You know, it's prestige. Yeah, it's something else to you know to give Charlotte a little bit of recognition. Add it to the list. You got so many obviously companies in Charlotte, so many big buildings, you know, up there, and big companies that have made this their headquarters. And now you got a major college conference as well. So to go with our sports teams, I mean, it just it adds to the prestige as a sports town, and I think the town in general.
0: Yeah, no question about that. Uh, does this have any impact at all on operations whatsoever? Does this really change anything with the ACC?
1: Uh, it does sound like they're going to have a heck of a nice facility over there, Legacy Union Complex. Like they're going to put a production, uh, you know, uh, studio in there. So it seems like with their network, they're going to be able to do some things out of there. I think the I think the one thing that fans here might like about it is, and I don't know for sure, Vince, but you would just think when championship events come up in the future, right? And Charlotte's been in the rotation, right? We've gotten over there to the Knight Stadium. We've had the ACC tournament just last year. It was great. We get we're in the ACC rotation for the ACC tournament, men's basketball. We're obviously the home of the of the football championship game, but I would think it can't hurt, right? Like being the home of the headquarters, it can't hurt when it comes to how many of those championship events in those sports and others do we get in
0: Charlotte? Maybe it gives us a little nod, you know. And that uh, and that's good for fancy, uh, definitely a good thing. Somebody yeah. also added here: uh, we need to throw in the nine million dollars in incentive money. Uh, that. <laughs> That they think is is also important as part of this equation.
1: Yeah, and I'm not. I've got to be honest with you. Like, and I'm sure, Lord, I could get. I could. We get your audience going when you start talking about, you know, sports <laughs> and and contributions from the taxpayers in general. Sometimes I definitely, as a sports guy, I'm partial. I see the benefit of it. This one, I got to be honest. Like, is this one worth it to the taxpayers in order to make a move like that? That part I don't necessarily understand. Orlando yeah. was trying to do the same thing. Orlando was trying to flat out buy this thing and like you said that just that's not a fit at all let's just stuff it down there you know no, d- down near no. the southernmost point of, of ACC country almost
0: it just yeah. doesn't make any sense at all I-, I hate to do this to you at the end uh in oh, about no. 30 seconds oh, no. Panthers
1: oh I thought we were going Panther-free, man. I, man, this is frustrating. I'm going to speak for everybody right now. This game against the Saints is interesting. Their quarterback, Jameis Winston, is coming off a three-interception game against Tampa. He has four fractured vertebrae in his back. So if you're looking for something that could hurt the Saints' performance to help the Panthers, um, that might be it. But the Panthers just need to actually execute. How many mistakes, Vince, do we see, including on the oh, opening goodness. kickoff? They make a mistake. They've
0: got to clean their own game up, man. They do. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm completely. Hopefully with they you. do it. Well, thanks a lot for joining us as usual, and uh, look forward to catching with you, catching up with you very soon. Mac Attack, WFNZ, uh, join him. Uh, much more right here on the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Stay with us.